And um, this morning we do uh, continue in the book of Judges. We're going to start at the very tail end of, of chapter 8 if you want to turn there. Uh, we've most recently, uh, Peter's talked to us about uh, Gideon, right? And, and Gideon, uh, the, the author of, of Judges, does not have the most positive view of Gideon. Uh, he, he did some successful and some good things, but he also struggled severely. His, his faith uh, faltered in big ways. And, and what we're going to see this morning is the consequences of Gideon. The, the consequences of Gideon not being as faithful of a leader as he should have been. We're going to see how his family suffers, but really how, uh, how Israel itself suffers the consequences of Gideon's failure. Now, we're not going to read every bit of chapter 9, um, and I'm going to read it as we go along. So let me just start off with a word of prayer as we uh, approach our time in the Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, need you this morning. Uh, we thank you that you are present here with us, and um, would you um, help in the, the midst of uh, the darkness uh, of this moment in the, in the book of Judges? Would you help us to see Jesus? And might we um, ultimately find ourselves worshiping him, the great king? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I was reminded just a few days ago, we, we, my family, we went to go see the new Spider-Man movie, and in the midst of that, I'm just reminded of how, all, you know, they're superheroes, right? And all the superheroes, there's always a supervillain or multiple supervillains, and, and it's interesting when you think about some of them, you know, a lot of these supervillains, they start out just a little bad, right? And then they keep getting worse and worse until they just like are overcome, and they're just like as evil as they can possibly be. They're like a snowball just rolling downhill, right, and just picking up steam as it's going down, just getting worse and worse and worse, and that's kind of what we see in the book of Judges as we move through it, is, is this just downhill um, progress uh, of Israel. As things just seem to be getting worse and worse, we get to chapter 8, verse 33. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Bereth their god. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their god had delivered them from the hand of their enemies on every side. They, they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, in return for all the good that he had done to Israel. You see, as, as we approach chapter 9, where we're going to be spending our time this morning, we need to be reminded first, as we already mentioned earlier, Gideon's failures, his, his failure to, to lead as faithfully as he should. And that's led to what we read here is now Israel's failures. What, are, what has Israel done? Israel's forgotten the Lord. And how have they forgotten him? Do you see what it says they did? They, they made Baal Bereath their God. Literally, that means uh, covenant with Baal. They, 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 Israelites, who did they have a covenant with? But God, with Yahweh, the one true God. And, and now what are they doing? But they're making covenant with this Baal this no God. Um, and not only that, as we read, they're not giving thanks to the Lord. They're not giving thanks to, to Gideon for, for all that he had done. Gideon did do some good things. He did get rid of the Midianites for them. They should have been praising the Lord for that, but they failed to even do that. And this is the lead-in then to chapter 9. And in chapter 9, God's going to do something very different than he has so far in the book of Judges. We've been used to a cycle, right? Uh, the, the people do bad Okay, God gives them over to that badness for a little bit and an oppressor comes in on the outside or whatever and then he comes in and he rescues them through a judge, right? We don't see that in chapter 9. 
That, that cycle is, in a sense, broken for chapter 9. God does something different here. He just gives them over to it. He, he basically says, you want Baal Barith as your God? You want to make covenant with him? Okay. Let's see how it goes. And he just gives it over to them. And that's what we're going to see as we dive into chapter 9. So let's start. Verse 1. Now Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, that's Gideon, went to Shechem, to his mother's relatives, and he said to them, to the whole clan of his mother's family, say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all the 70 sons of Jerubbabel rule over you, or that one rule over you? Remember also that I am bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. Here's Abimelech. Now, let's say something about his name first. You remember how Gideon, we heard this last week, Gideon, they, they tried to set him up as king, right? And he said, oh no, I don't want to be king. But then he really was kind of like a quasi-king and he took all the trappings, just not in name. Well, you know what Abimelech's name means? My father is a king. Okay, so Gideon certainly had some feelings about himself and, and his kingliness, if you will. And, and here we have Abimelech, what does he do? He's like the consummate politician here. He, he starts whispering in people's ears, I, I can make things so much better for you. you. You don't want those brothers of mine. You want me. You want a good life? I'll give you a good life. You want good things? Come, follow me. And so we read verse 3. His mother's relatives spoke all these things on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem. They're whispering it in their ears. And their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, well, he's our brother. <laughs> and they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of baal Berith, um, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. So the, the word starts spreading. They start thinking, yeah, maybe things would be better with Abimelech. We should follow him. And so they decide they give over even some money. And what does he do? He goes and he hires some thugs. And now this is where things get incredibly dark. Verse 5. And he, Abimelech, went to his father's house at, at Orphra and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubbabel, that's Gideon, 70 men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbabel, was left, for he hid himself. Now, Make sure you understand how dark what's going on here is. This isn't like he, he took these thugs and, you know, they went and they kind of had like this battle and all of his brothers ended up dead. However it worked out, this was an execution. All the brothers were lined up one after another and were killed on the same stone. This is brutal, okay? It's not just like a battle that ensued. This is execution that he goes after his brothers with. And so he does this, and what do the Shechemites think? What do these people think? Verse 6, all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Beth Milo, and, and they went, and they made Abimelech king by the oak and the pillar at Shechem. That's what they think of this guy. I mean, th this tells us something, right? I mean, here's this guy, he just kills 70 of his brothers. This would make a really good king tells us something about Abimelech. It tells us a lot about the Shechemites as well, right? And what's even worse is where this takes place. They do this at Shechem. Now, some important things have happened at Shechem. We won't go through them all, but when Abraham comes into the promised land, where's his kind of first stop? At Shechem. At the end of Joshua, Joshua 24, the, the people covenant again as they're in the, in the land. They, they, they re-covenant, if you will, with God. And where does it take place? but at the oak and the pillar of Shechem. 
And now here, where do we have Abimelech crowned king? But right at the exact same place. But this is the complete opposite. You know, we, we, we talk about Christ types as we, even as we've moved through the book of Judges and, and even in the Judges, even in the darkness, sometimes we see types of Christ. In Abimelech, we don't see any type of Christ, okay? He, if we want to talk about him in that extent, he's the Antichrist type, okay? That, that's who this Abimelech is. We're not going to see any rewarding things of his character, okay? Now, as we think about this, we, we need to ask, well, what do we, how do we put this into any sort of categories, this guy who kills 70 of his brothers? How do we even deal with that? And, and as I was thinking about that, I couldn't help but think of it as kind of an illustration of power. Because that's what's really going on here, right? Abimelech is willing to do whatever it takes, including killing 70 of his brothers, so that he can get power so that he can reign, so that he can rule and things can be the way that he wants them to be, right? It's really a big, huge power play. He's willing to do anything for that power. Now, let's not leave the Shechemites out either. I I think theirs is a power play too, right? You understand, for instance, like when you go to the ballot box, you are exerting power, right? The Shechemites have a lot of power. They decide to make Abimelech that king. And why do they do that? Because they think, yeah, I'll even kill in 70 brothers. We think things are going to be better for us. This is going to be for our good. We'll, we'll exercise our power, make him our king, because it's going to be good for us, because it's really about, about us. Now, as we think about that, we might think relieved. Well, I'm not, I'm not like Abimelech. I'm not, not like the, the people of Shechem, right? We, we haven't committed these horrible atrocities, hopefully, right? Um, but we do need to understand that we do exercise power in our lives, okay? We exercise power, for instance, when we choose our leaders. We were praying about that earlier. That's an exercise of of power, Um, just as the Shechemites did as they chose their leader. But we also exercise power as we, we, we live out life in our homes, as we live out life in our workplaces. We exercise power, don't we? To help us understand that, I was reminded of an illustration from Diane Langberg. She's a psychologist up in in the Philly area. In one of her books, she writes about her her son who used to work in the Middle East, okay? And he used to work for a prince, okay, very closely with him. And so at one point, the, the prince, like, invited them to come over, her and her husband, and, you know, flew them over on a fancy airline, fancy food, Everything, you know, they get picked up at the airport. It's, you know, it's just that kind of thing because you're going to see a prince, right? Now, her son um, briefed her, you know, and he was telling her all the things that she need to be costly. This is an Arab prince. These are the things that you need to do. This is how you need to act. These are the things you don't want to do. You don't want to get up. You don't want to try to shake his hand. You don't want to, you know, you got to be really careful. You don't want to offend him. And in fact, this room that you're going to be going into, I've never even seen a woman in there. Okay. And then she writes, we arrived, we're escorted into the palace, you know, they're there, they're they're waiting to go in, and when instructed to, we walked in. And she said, no sooner had we done so than the prince stood, and he walked quickly over to us. He warmly extended his hand to us. He greeted me by name, introduced himself by his first name. This isn't something you do if you're a prince, typically. And he showed me to the seat at his right hand. And then what do you think all of his followers, all the guys with him started doing? 
They started doing the same and it started acting towards her the same way that he had. She says this man would have been well within his rights to follow protocol. In fact, he risked criticism, right? The, the loss of respect for breaking the social rules. He wasn't doing what you were supposed to do. But, she says, he chose to gather up his power and use it to pour out blessing, which is what he continued to do the entire time we were there. He illustrates what a, what a person of much power looks like when they don't use it to clutch glory, but rather seek to, seek to use that power to bless others. Okay, Abimelech, the leaders of, of Shechem, what do they not? They, they don't use their power to bless others, do they? They're, they're using the power that they have for what? For their own glory. Seeking their own glory. As Diane said of her meeting with the prince, this earthly prince, who inspired awe in me by crossing over position, tradition, culture, gender, and training to greet me with his right hand, reminds me of the awe do my true Lord, who at the cost beyond measure crosses over the barriers of, of highest position, of sin and death, to welcome me at the right hand of the Father. We too should be reminded of what Jesus did. Who? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. The God, the God of all power, emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. How did Jesus choose to use his power but to bless others? How will you, how do you, use the power that's been entrusted to you? In the story of Abimelech, as we're going to see as we, we continue on, we'll, we'll see everyone using their power to promote their own self-interest, to promote their own glory. It's all about them. It's all about what can I get out of this? And you and I, we're, we're tempted to do the same every day, aren't we? Maybe it's in how you choose the politicians that you do. Maybe you, you choose them just based off of if they'll line your pockets or not instead of based on things like character and integrity. And if you vote for someone, get this, if you vote for someone just in hopes that maybe you're going you're to get what you want, and we need to be very careful, and we're going to learn this as we go through Abimelech's story, we need to be very careful, because we might end up getting exactly what we deserve. Maybe in the midst of your relationships, this is also where we exude power, right? In the home, workplace, wherever our relationships go. Do you use the power that you have to seek to bless others or to serve yourself? Do you use it for your own glory or to serve and to bless others? Now, some of you may be saying, well, I don't have any power. And some of you like teenagers or kids or whatever, you might, I don't have any power. I was reminded just yesterday we had some missionaries over in the home. The missions committee was over. We were interviewing some missionaries. And they had a baby with them as we're doing the interview. And I was reminded of that moment. You might think a baby is powerless, right? And in many ways, they are. But as all of you who are parents know, babies have an extreme power. They have a superpower. They can start crying. And they can start screaming. 
Don't think that's not power. Okay, we all have it. We all have to decide how, how, do, we, how do we choose to use it? Just the power that, that you and I have in the context of our homes or at work or wherever, just by the way that we use our voice, by the way that we speak words, by the inflection of our voice, right? We, we know how it works. You can think of it in the context of with children, just by the way that you speak, you're exerting power, either for good, either to bless, or ultimately for your own glory, for your seeking your own pleasure. How? How do you choose to do it? As we're going to see um, in Abimelech, uh, what, we should, what we should actually do is pursue good faith and integrity. That's what his brother comes along and says, verse 7, his brother goes up on the mountaintop and he says this, listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. That This brother, the one who had escaped, his name literally means Yahweh is integrity. Okay? If, 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 if Abimelech is the Antichrist-type character, Jothan, is, he's as close as we get. He, he is the Christ-type character in the story. He's the only redeeming character that we see. And he, he starts telling a fable, and he says this, The trees once went out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us! But the olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and co hold sway over the trees? And then likewise, he says the same thing about a fig tree. Same thing about a vine. And and each of them, they turn it down. They don't want to rule over the trees. Why? Because each of them knows how incredibly blessed they are. And know how because they are blessed, they are able to be a blessing to others. That's what the fable is. And the point, of course, is that if you're a wise individual, what would you not seek? But to be king. In other words, Abimelech, if you were really wise, you wouldn't want this that you've been given, but you went out seeking it. There's a major problem going on here. And he continues, and he begins to talk about the bramble. Then all the trees, they came to the bramble. This is the worthless, <laughs> the worthless plant. You, you bramble, you, you come reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in good faith you're anointing me king over you, then come, take refuge in my shade. Brambles can't give any shade. But if not... Let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Jotham then begins to give us an explanation of what he's talking about, and he says this. Now, therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, if you dealt well with Jerubbabel, with Gideon and his house, and have served him as his deeds deserved, my father fought for you. Gideon, he he risked his life for you. He delivered you from the hand of Midian. And you've risen up against my father's house this day? You've killed his sons? Seventy men on one stone? You've made Abimelech, the the son of his his female servant, an illegitimate kid? You've made him the king of the leaders of Shechem because he is your relative? Really? If if you then acted in good faith and integrity with, with Jerubbabel, with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech. Let him also rejoice in you, but if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and, and devour Abimelech. He said, let y'all all just eat each other up if you haven't dealt in good faith and integrity with each other. 
You know, the, the question here that, that, that should be asked is, Abimelech, have you dealt in good faith? Have you dealt with integrity? And of course the answer is, no! And, and to the Shechemites and to the people of Beth Milo, have you dealt in, in faith and integrity? And of course the answer is, is no! So what does Jotham do? Jotham ran away and fled. He went to Beer and lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. He has to, to run away. We, we see something a little different here. One commentator says this. For the first time in the book, in the book of Judges, we, we see God operating on this basis, doing what is right and giving people what they've earned. This is new for the, the, the book of Judges. This time, unlike in the past, God does not act in mercy. Okay? He gives the people what they deserve. He gives the people the king they deserve. And he gives the king the kind of subjects that he deserves. What would have been their appropriate response on hearing Jotham? Hearing his words. Hearing the words of the one who, whose name is Yahweh is integrity. What would have been the right thing? But maybe even to set him up potentially as a leader. He wasn't one that was after it. He wouldn't have wanted it. Maybe that's just the kind of leader that they needed. But instead, what does Jotham have to do? He has to flee for his own life. Because they don't want the truth. They, they, they want power. They don't want to deal in faith and integrity. They want to get what they want. And as a result, things begin to unravel in a very big way. Verse 22. Abimelech ruled over Israel for three years. God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. And the violence done to the 70 sons of Jerubbabel might come. And their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them. And on the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hand to kill his brothers. At this point, Abimelech, he's ruling Israel, we're told. And the evil begins to unravel. God kind of gives them over to it. He says, okay, this is what you want. Have at it. I'm just going to let evil rule amongst you. I'm going to let you all get exactly what you want, supposedly, and they're going to find out it's not what they want, I guess. And immediately we see, see these chinks in Abimelech's rule, right? We have betrayal. Look at verse 26. And Gael, the son of Abed, moved in to Shechem with his relatives. And the leaders of Shechem put confidence in him. And they went out into the fields and they gathered grapes from their vineyards and they trod them and they held a festival and they, they went to the house of their God, and they ate, and they drank, and they reviled Abimelech. What do they do? They, they go, and you know, here's this new guy coming along. Oh, he looks pretty good, this Gael figure. He, he looks like he might make a good leader for us. They, they go, they get drunk, they're out at the bar, if you will, and they start talking poorly about their king. They say, basically what they're saying is, well, he hasn't treated us in good faith and integrity. Of course, they haven't treated him with good faith and integrity either, you see, and hopefully understand. Um, and isn't that often in some ways how we act? I mean, have you ever noticed it before, how often you see somebody not act in good faith and integrity, injure other, and injure other people? Um, but then the moment that, 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 that you're not treated in good faith and integrity, then that person gets all upset. You know, whenever they're hurting other people, it's fine. But as soon as they get hurt, Oh no, you better watch out, because vengeance is coming. 
And we see it, don't we? Think of your kids. Think of kids. What do they do? A kid will come running to you and say, you know, Sally called me a name, right? And you immediately say, well, what did, did, did you say anything to them to cause them to do that? Well, yeah, I told them, but, but she called me the name. How many times have we dealt with similar situations, right? But isn't that so often how we act? We're very quick to call out others. We're very quick to, to call out others for, for, for their sins. But we, it's so difficult sometimes um, to see it in ourselves. We try to justify our own behavior. Continuing in verse 28, Gail, the son of Ebed said, you know, they're, they're at the bar, and he says, who, who is Abimelech? Who are we of Shechem that we should serve him? Is not, um, is he not the son of Jerubbabel? And is not Zebul his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But why should we serve him? Would that this people were under my hand, you know, if I was only in charge, then I would remove Abimelech. I would say to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. Now, now we're seeing similar to what Abimelech did, right? Things are being reversed. Now, now Gael's coming in. He's saying, come follow me. I'll make life good for you. Vote for me. I'll make your life good. And so they decide they're, they're, they're going to follow him, right? And so we have this great betrayal. But remember, this, this story is like all about everybody kind of eating each other. And so one of those people, evidently, who was there was Zebul, he, he, or at least he hears about it, and he goes and he spoils the plot. He goes, and he tells Abimelech. He tells Abimelech that there is this plot against him, that there's this coup attempt coming. So what does Abimelech do? Verse 34, so Abimelech and all the men who were with him rose up by night, and they set an ambush against Shechem in four companies. Okay? And, and so the next morning, Gael, this new leader that they've selected to take over after Abimelech. He's standing at the gate of the city. Zebul's standing right there with him. Now, Zebul's the one that went and tattled on him to Abimelech, but he doesn't know that. And he's looking off. It's early morning. You know, the sun's barely coming off. He's looking up, and he's, he's seeing what looks like people. He says, look, people are coming down from the mountaintops. And what does Zebul say? He says, oh, you, you mistake the shadow of the mountains for men. But what's really happening is Abimelech's men are coming down. Zebul runs out and he joins them and he joins in the fight against, uh, 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 against Gael. And he, they wipe him out. And Gael and his forces, the attempted coup is, is stopped. Abimelech still reigns. But Abimelech's not done. Okay, You've heard the saying that Absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? Abimelech's not done. You, you see, that what we read is that in the next day, you know, like after this coup attempt, you know, everybody just went back to their own houses. You know, even the people who have been, okay, Abimelech's our king. We'll go, we'll go back to him rolling. So the next day they go out and they go out to their fields to, to do their work and back to their things. But Abimelech, he wants revenge. He wants revenge. And so he ambushes the people in the fields as they're going out to farm and begins killing them, verse 45. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He captured the city. He killed the people who were in it. He raised the city. He sowed it with salt. Total destruction. He even salts the field so they can never grow crops again. Okay? He wanted revenge. You don't betray me. 
That's the kind of leader that the Shechemites had chosen. Now, it seems like some of the leaders of, of Shechem had actually retreated. They, they'd found safety in this tower of Shechem, okay? this, this place of actual worship of, of their God. And Abimelech finds it out. So then what does he do? He, he tells his people, go, go, go cut down a bunch of the, doesn't say it technically in the text, but go cut down a bunch of bramble, which you'll remember from the, the fable earlier. Okay? Get a bunch of sticks and stuff. Go cut it down, and we're going to bring it. I want you to bring it all to the Tower of Shechem, verse 49. So every one of the people cut down his bundle, cut down his bundle, and following Abimelech, put it against the stronghold, and they set the stronghold on fire over them, so that all the people of the Tower of Shechem also died, about 1,000 men and women. He kills them all. He wipes them out. But Abimelech's still not done. I guess at this point he's destroyed Shechem, there's nothing left. The city is raised. There's nothing there. So, and he still has troops and stuff. So what is he going to do? He's got to go find a new place, right? So he goes down to Thebes. Supposedly, we would assume, to expand his kingdom, right? A new place to rule over. And the residents there, they have a tower, and they've escaped into the tower to, to try to retreat, to, hoping they won't die, I guess. But, of course, Abimelech, being Abimelech, he says, huh. Yeah, at Shechem, that fire and tower thing worked really good, right? And I burned them and I killed them all. So, this, so he plans and he begins to do the same. But then we read verse 53. And a certain woman, as they're setting on fire down below, a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me a woman killed him. And his young man thrust him through, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his own home. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbabel. As uh, one commentator, uh, Ralph Davis says, a woman had a crush on Abimelech. Now, that's a pretty bad pun. But it does help us to understand how humiliating the end is for Abimelech. Okay? That a woman defeats him. Now, don't miss, please don't miss this. Don't miss how misplaced Abimelech's shame is at the end. Here he is, lying about to die. And what is his concern? His concern is that people not know that he was killed by a woman. Of course, as we know, word has gotten out, right? You know, here we are thousands of years later talking about it still. But what's really so sad about it is that Abimelech, he has no shame for the life that he's lived. His concern as he's dying isn't for the way that he exerted power, the way that he killed 70 of his brothers, the way that he killed all the people at Shechem, just, just all the atrocities in his background, that's not his concern. That's not his shame. His shame is just that people will think that a woman killed him. It's really bad. What we see here at the very end of this passage is the real king asserting himself in the story, the true king, great God, our great God, 
and he brings judgment, right? And he's, he's bringing judgment um, to Abimelech and to Shechemites. You know, they're, they're all destroyed and destroying each other, and he brings judgment to them. But also understand that through all of this that's going on in chapter 9, God is disciplining the Israelites as a whole. He's trying to show them the dangers of, of what they want. This danger of, of going and making covenant with somebody like Baal. I was reminded as I was thinking about this, uh, a story that, that Tim Keller says in his book on Jonah. He talks about an old fairy tale that he ran across at some point about this witch. And this witch would welcome in peoples, you know, uh, people who are wandering through the land, uh, people who are trying to find a home or whatever, and he, she'd welcome them in for a night to stay, right? And she'd welcome them in, and they'd sleep a great night. She'd feed them. They'd get a great night's sleep, but there was a deep magic going on here, and they would never wake up. In fact, they would turn in the night whenever the morning came. They would be um, stone statues that she would add to her statuary hall. Now, there was a servant girl that she had, a servant girl who couldn't resist her, who couldn't, had no power to over the witch or anything. But she began to more and more have pity for these victims, these people that would come in for a night's rest and would end up statues in, in this witch's statuary hall. One day, a, a young man came. And so the servant girl, she, she went and she took a bunch of sticks and, and stones and all and put them in the bed. And so the guy was tossing and turning all night, throwing off another stone, another stick she found. So, you know, it was just a fitful night, a night without really much sleep. So he woke up super early in the morning or got up super early in the morning. He went to the servant girl and he berated her cruelly. He said, how could you give a traveler such a terrible bed full of sticks and stones? And he cried off and he was going on his way. And then under her breath, she said, ah, oh, the misery you know now is nothing like the infinitely greater misery a comfortable sleep would have brought upon you. Those were my sticks and stones of love. It's meant to be a bit of a reminder for us that the sticks and stones of God's love for, for Israel and ultimately his, his sticks and stones of, of love for us, even in times of suffering, even in, in times of, of discipline, he comes into our life and gives to us sticks and stones of love. They may not always be pleasant. We may not always celebrate them, but he still brings them to him. And that's part of what he's doing here. He's doing a good thing for Israel, even in the midst of the darkness of chapter 9. The sovereign king, he still reigns. The true king is not gone. He seems absent largely from chapter 9. But the true king, he's, he's still at work. While for a moment he, he may have given Israel over to itself, he comes now to rescue, to rescue them. W wiping out um, those who had created the issues, wiping out Abimelech, wiping out the Shechemites. And in a sense, giving Israel a little bit of a chance of some sense of a new start. You see, the beauty of the story, as dark as it is, is that amidst all the treachery, deceit, murder, vengeance, just plain evil, power plays all over the place. The real and the great king comes riding in to rescue his people from the horrible oppression, getting rid of all of those oppressors at that moment. You see, the words of Zechariah are true. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple 
of my eye. As bad as things and darkest things get in the book of Judges, God's people are still the apple of his eye. And even as he, he gives things over, they're still the apple of his eye. He's still pursuing. He's still after them. It applies to us too. Do you not know? Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You see, if you're in Christ this morning, if you know him, if, if you know that he is your redeemer and Lord this morning, you are the apple of his eye because you're part of his people. And even when, when times of, of discipline may come our way, even when things are, are so difficult and become so difficult in our life, know that so often those are sticks and stones of love for us. We, we've, we've said on multiple occasions that the, the book of Judges is in some ways meant to be a, a polemic for um, David as the rightful king, right? Not Saul. Saul isn't the king you want. David is the king you want. And that's part of the agenda of the author of Judges, right? And so it shouldn't surprise us that Abimelech's end looks a whole lot like Saul's end. Okay, Saul on his deathbed, what does he want? Because somebody he didn't want to be known as having killed him, what? He says, can he asks his armor bearer, kill me lest I suffer the shame as well. It should be no surprise. The author is wanting us to, to desire to have a, a king like King David. A king who's after God's own heart. A king who rules with faith and integrity. But ultimately, King David even is not what they needed. It's not what we need. Though at times we may want it, right? Sometimes I think part of our problem is we might be satisfied with a good earthly king. At least one that did our bidding, right? Acted the way we wanted them to act. Did what they wanted to do so that we can enjoy the benefits of it. Sometimes I think we would be too satisfied with that, but that's not what we need. We don't need a King David. Yes, the people of Israel, they did need a good king to rule over them. One who would use his power to bring blessing, right? But even more than that, they and we needed a king who could deal with their sin. We need a king, not just that will deal in faith and integrity, but one that can deal with our sin. What we really need is the ultimate king, King Jesus. The one that doesn't go around trumpeting his own power, but who gives it up all for his people. The words of Paul and Romans are so helpful here. For while we are still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one person, for one, will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ, the one with all power, with all authority. The, the, the great king himself, 
died for us. Do you know that to be true? You understand what the one who came with all power did for you. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ, the great king, died for us. Do you believe it? Let's pray. Father, we we thank you that even amidst the, the, the darkness of Abimelech's reign, you were at work. You were at work to rescue your people, your people who were the apple of your eye. Oh, Father, we thank you for the way that the ultimate king the King greater than David has come, Jesus Christ. That you got, that, that our great God came down to earth, not trumpeting his power, but being willing to use your power to bless your people. Would you, first of all, help us to truly believe it? to truly know that truth down to the depths of our heart. And would you help us who have seen that great love to go and seek to love others in that same way. Seeking not our own glory, but seeking to bless others. We pray this all in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen.